this earth to its former glory and and <coughs> that is such a such a wonderful thing I see 
you know, people trying to do all of this recycling and everything, which is good. That's not a bad thing. That's a great thing. But I think that their efforts are not anything like what it's going to be when Jesus restores the earth. When he comes back in the, during that thousand year reign, there are going to be some changes made. And I'm looking forward to those changes. Now, now I'm going to have to shape up a little bit myself. I'm, I have no doubt about that. You know, I, I drive an automobile. I don't know if we're going to be doing that in that time. I don't know. I don't have any idea. But I'll tell you what, there's going to be some wonderful changes made. When Jesus restores the earth to its former glory, I, I look forward to having a part in that. And uh, anyway, I, it's it's something to look forward to. Let's sing number two eighty or two forty eight. Tyler's come to like this song. <laughs>
Yes, we are. Thank, thank God for that. And that adoption was done before any of us were born. Through Jesus Christ, when he died on the cross, he paid the price that we might have a place in that kingdom. And he knew from before the beginning what the end would be for each of us. And we need to realize that we need to, to draw closer to that kingdom and to put the things of this life behind us so that we can be prepared spiritually to live. You know when a cross is You don't know that. No, 332. 332? Let's see what that is. We have an anchor. Oh, we know that one. Let's stand as we sing this one.
That is our anchor. He is our, our firm strength. And we need to learn not to rely on our own strength, but to rely on his, on what he said. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Brother Tyler, would you just ask me to pray? Dear God and Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before you this morning, Lord, we ask forgiveness of our sins and what we fall short of you each day. Lord God, we ask that you would work in our lives and in our hearts, Lord, that we would do your work and your will each day. Lord, we ask that you would create in us a, a heart that is clean before you, and Lord, that you would, we would follow after the example of your Son. We ask for prayer for those that are sick and in need of healing, both spiritually, physically, or mentally, Lord, whatever the need may be. We ask that you would uh, take care of these things, Lord, as we know you're capable. We ask that you would, again, forgive us of our shortcomings before you, and we pray that you bless us in the services, Lord, that bless the one that's speaking, that they would speak the words that you would have them to, and our hearts and minds that we might receive those words and apply them to our lives for better service to you. We thank you so much for the offering and sacrifice of your Son. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Slow this morning. Technological wonders here. Oh. <laughs> Technological dunce is more like it. <laughs> Or at least that's how I feel some days. Do you want to get the PA too? Yeah. Can you pick it up there? Yeah. Okay. It's got a pretty good microphone on it. Good. Good. Well, we are in chapter 21 of the Book of Acts. And I'll tell you what, once you get started at this point, you want to finish the whole Book of Acts until it's like reading a, a novel and you can't wait to find out how it ends. <laughs> and the Apostle Paul's life changes. This is, he's finished his missionary journeys. He said his farewell there at Miletus to the elders at Ephesus and to those that were traveling with him. Those that were, actually the ones who were traveling with him, stayed with him going on to Jerusalem with him. And they're on the, that last leg of the journey and they're not stopping anywhere until they get into Syria and where the boat is to unload the cargo it has. And, but they're heading for Tyre, which is just north of Jerusalem, north along the coast of there and uh, just above Caesarea and probably be good to look at the map here and see what the Apostle Paul is doing he's coming down the coast he's okay he's up here at Miletus 
Here's Ephesus up here, and Miletus is just down below here. And he's coming down, he passes the little island of Coos, and Rhodes, and here's Patria, where he touches here in Asia. And then they sail across, Cy just below Cyprus, they pass it on, it's on the port side of the ship, on, that is the left side, and uh, they're heading over here to Tyre, which is up in here. It does, it's, well, actually, it's up a little bit further here, but they, they come across here to Tyre, and actually, there's Tyre right there. But they, they, they're heading straight across there because Paul wants to get down here to, to Jerusalem before Pentecost. And so that, that's his itinerary here, and we'll be reading this and probably moving through this first part rather quickly. So let's begin reading in verse 1 here, chapter 21. And it came to pass that after we were gotten from them and had launched, we came with, <coughs> with a straight course unto, <coughs> unto Coots. And the day following, unto Rhodes. And from thence to Patria. So he's just doing this little island hopping jaunt down across there. And you know, there where it says, uh, after we had gotten from them, he says, it, this was a, a tearful parting there from, from the people of Ephesus. And so they, they had trouble leaving there, just for emotional reasons, I'm sure. And finding a ship sailing over unto Phoenicia, we went aboard and set forth. Now when we had discovered Cyprus, or, you know, we had, um, when we saw Cyprus, uh, we left it on the left hand and sailed into Syria and landed at Tyre, for, for there the ship was to unlade her burden. And finding disciples, we tarried there seven days, who said to Paul through the Spirit that he should not go up to Jerusalem. Now these people were in tune to the Spirit of God, and God had instructed them about Paul that that was going to be dangerous for him to go into Jerusalem. And they begged him not to go. And when we had accomplished these days, you know, accomplished these days, it sounded like it was a work, it was a chore to do. But um, those disciples sent them on, on their way after a few days of visiting there with them. We departed and went our way and they all brought us on our way with wives and children till we were out of the city. And we kneeled down on the shore and prayed. Now this is a way of looking to Jesus. And in, you know, this is, was a, another tearful parting, I'm sure. 
And they brought even their wives and their children to out outside the down to the shore and and sent them on their way. And we and we kneeled down on the shore and prayed, looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of their faith, realizing that this was a a rough time for Paul, and yet he was looking forward to it, amazingly enough. And when we had taken our, our leave of one another, we took ship, and they returned home again. So we got on, notice the we. This is the, who is the author of the book of Acts who was traveling with Paul. He was one of his company. Now, we see that we in several places in the book of Acts. In some places, you see they. So, this whoever was traveling with him was not always there at all with him on all occasions, but traveled with him a good part of the time. And that's why I would think it was probably Luke. And he, being Paul's physician, traveled with him because Paul had health issues. And uh, anyway, these people left them at the shore, or, or they left those people at the shore, and they went on. And when we had finished our course from Tyre, we came to... Uh, Philemas and saluted the brethren and abode with them one day. This is another city just down the coast and this is in uh, well it's, it's on the way down to Jerusalem. But they stayed there one day. And the next day we that were of Paul's company departed and came unto Caesarea. And we entered into the house of Philip, the evangelist, which was one of the seven, and abode with him. One of the seven. What seven is he talking about there? One of the seven. Remember back in um, let's see what chapter was it maybe it means chapter 2 of Acts they needed deacons he was one of the seven deacons at the, of the church at Jerusalem he was chosen Philip this is the same Philip the evangelist the one who went down along the the road and met that Ethiopian eunuch this, this is the same Philip that we're talking about here. He was one of the deacons and he was a chosen man of God. And the same man had four daughters, virgins, which did prophesy. They were preachers. Women preachers. Now, some people get really upset with that, but this is what God gave them. He gave them the opportunity to preach. 
Uh, we'll let's look at uh, chapter two of Acts, verse seventeen, and I'll turn back there. And it came to pass, and <clears throat> it shall come to pass. Now this is quoting the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And on my servants and on my handmaidens I will pour out in those days of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. You know, God is not a respecter of persons. And he has a way, he has set up a, a hierarchy, a way that he wants things done. But I find nothing wrong with women who are godly women preaching. However, it says that they, it probably ought to be for the women and helping one another in that regard. Uh, you know, this is just my understanding of it. Andy, do you have something? To... I had to deal a lot with this as a missionary because there's a lot of things out there and I had to be able to explain to a lot of people what's what, what isn't by what God says. Now, this particular more prophecy in the sense of when God says what's going to happen, he predicts future. And that is a thing that's very distinct and separate and different than preaching as a preacher preaches. Uh, and there's a difference between having a gift, which is what this would have been, exercising that gift, mm -hmm. or having a uh, position, an authority given position. Yes. Now, God gave men, not only gave it to them, but requires it of them. Responsibility. <laughs> yeah, there's responsibility and authority of a position that only a man can fulfill because it's required of him by God. He has to represent God, and he has to do that. Now, a woman can, I mean, I can go out and witness to anybody. I can tell anybody what God says in his word. I can tell anybody what he's done for me in my life. And I can teach other women and children. But, and in fact, you could even argue, if you wanted to stretch the point, that I can uh, give my experience and wisdom and my understanding of Scripture to anybody who wants to hear it. And I couldn't even testify in front of the church. But these are all this totally distinct, different things than holding a responsibility and a position and the authority which comes with the accountability to have to stick with scripture or be kicked out. I mean, a man who has to preach has to have godliness in his personal life. It's very clear in scripture. He has to give account to the church and he has to give account directly to God also. And he can't stand up there and represent God if he doesn't look right. But he has a job that he must do of shepherding the flock and making sure they understand and learn and 
yes. what God's word says, this is what God requires of us, and he has a position nobody can take. And women can't fill that position. They just can't. But they can, as you said, uh, be godly and teach by word and example. Yes. And they can share their experiences and their understanding, but they're not the top authority Yes. I, I think that this is something that is overlooked quite frequently. And women have first access to children. They have first access to other women's thinking, which men don't have. I, I, man that thinks he understands women is, has a rude awakening coming. <laughs> but God understands women. He made them as he did man, in his own likeness. And yet women do have a very special place in God's service. We think of so many of the women, we think of Ruth, in, and we think of uh, Lydia, we think of, you know, there are so many there that have been used in God's service, and their example is very important, especially to to the children, as because children need to brought, be brought up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Yeah, Tyler. I was just going to say there there is a distinct difference between a prophet and a preacher, or a prophet and a bishop or pastor. Okay. the The distinction is is that one proclaims God, or one proclaims the word of God. And a bishop is one that's given, or a pastor is one that's given charge to oversee an oversee a, a, yes. a church. So those that proclaim God, you look in the Old Testament, judging is just by the Old Testament and the what and what prophets and prophetesses were in the Old Testament was that they proclaimed the word of God. Okay. They didn't hold an office within the within the church. It seems it seems they were part of the church, but they didn't hold an office. So you okay. have. Nathan the prophet who dealt with Samuel or with dealt with David. You have Samuel. Um, you have a, a number of a number of folks um, who come when the Lord laid it on their hearts and said, "You know, you're not doing the right thing. I told you to do this, yes. and you didn't do it. And this is what the Lord says." So, same thing. You see, every instance that you see a prophet spoke, what was it they were telling them? They were telling them. The Lord told us to do this. Straighten up and we did this. <laughs> yes. So it, it was a burden laid on their hearts. You know, uh, very seldom did you see them. You know, they they weren't like in the instance of like a preacher. It, it seemed they seemed to proclaim exactly what the Lord's displeasure was yes. or His happiness in some cases. But but they had a very distinct and different role than a pastor or a bishop or a teacher even they have they have a very distinct role uh, well they can be teachers also they can be teachers yes. also but but in the in the distinction in the old testament and even into the accounts in the new testament they held a very distinct and different role okay and and i think it's good for us to see these different roles that god has established it's it's not a mm -hmm. it's not an earthly thing this is god that Establish these patterns, and 
he just like he established the patterns in nature and, and even gravity, you know, I mean, things like this that no one else could establish. And, and God has his ways, and we need to learn his ways. Yeah. If I may, one more, just one more thing. Exodus chapter 15, uh, verse 20, there's a few verses there. If I can, if I if y'all don't mind me reading this. It says, Miriam the prophetess, Aaron's sister, took the timbrel in hand and all women and went out with uh, out after her with her timbrels and with dancing. Miriam had answered them and saying to the Lord, for he is mighty and high and highly and exalted. The horse and his rider he has hurled in the sea. So she she seemed to have led those women there and 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 a bit of worship said the women went out went out with her. Yes. So they they declared something, they 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 spoke something of the Lord that he is highly exalted, you know. Um so it seems just a, a bit a bit different. Um I would encourage us if we get an opportunity to read some of those texts where it includes those women prophets and, and you'll see you'll see a, a bit of a distinction, a difference there. Yeah. Um, we see Lydia as being in a leadership position mm -hmm. among women where there was in a city where there wasn't a synagogue. Mm -hmm. And they went they were down at the river. And I'm sure she was a leader there. And she urged Paul to come and if she said, if you, if you consider me to be worthy, please come to stay in my house. You know, and I, I think that this is something that is overlooked. I mean, a woman pastor might be another story. And uh, yet, where there was no synagogue, I'm sure Lydia took that position. We see in, in other places where a man wouldn't do the job, the woman got it done because she had to. We think of uh, the, who was the man that, whose wife uh, fed David and her husband was somewhat of a churl. Mm, was that Abigail? Okay, okay. But it, anyway, she did what was right before the Lord, where her husband would not. And where situations like that happen, yes, a woman has the right and, the, and responsibility to take that place. You have in another instance, you have Deborah, the prophetess. Deborah. Who was sure. a judge over Israel. Sure. Uh, it says, now that Judges chapter 4, now Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lephidoth, uh, was judging Israel at the time. She used to sit under the palm tree, tree of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the sons of Israel came up to her for judgment. And she sent and summoned Barak. That was, of course, Deborah and Barak. You see an instance there, yes, um, which is an interesting account there, that she was she was beloved enough that people sought her wisdom and respected and her. respected her. And yes. it says even there, it says 
it said, um, what did he say? And the sons of Israel came up to her. Doesn't mean that they were children, but they were sons. They, right. were, they were sons of the nation. That's a lineage. Yeah, the lineage. Of so, Israel. So they come up to her for, for her wisdom. Yes. And it doesn't seem, these people weren't lifted up into, I mean, she was placed in, at, a, at, a, at a position of authority, but it wasn't, it wasn't over, it wasn't exalted over. It was just that her, the Lord had given her this wisdom that yes. people saw. All right. Well, what, I, I hadn't intended to get off on the sidetrack like this, but it's good. It's good that we do this. Andy? If you have, say, say that I had a, a corner store and everybody needed all the stuff in the corner store. If I were in there as the owner of the corner store, then nobody's going to object to coming to me because I have what they need. And I think it's sort of like it was with Deborah because uh, everybody needed what she had and nobody considered it to be over and higher than a man because it had nothing to do with the position. But she was in a position of judgment. Well, yes, because there was a need for that, and nobody else wanted the job. Apparently, by the reading of the story, there was some pretty corrupt. It was pretty corrupt point point in time for for Israel. I yes, mean, because they didn't have any any ruler that the Lord saw fit to put in their place. So he, at that particular time, he said he rose up judges to judge Israel. Yes, to reckon what they had done, um, and. Of course, we see there time and time again throughout the series of judges. One would rise up and be good, and the other would rise up and be bad. It was just kind of like a back and forth pendulum swing. It wasn't that it was, that was the way the Lord wanted to show them, hey, this is what's happening. This is what's happening when you don't listen to what I say. Yes. You know, um, and he used that for an example for them to show them, hey, you need to rely on the Lord. You need to look to the Lord for your ju your just judgment. Absolutely. And you know, it's like when they wanted a king. Saul, Saul was chosen, and God says, "You'll be sorry. You, I'll, I'll give you a king." But <laughs> he gives us. He gives us. Sometimes he gives us what we want. It's not what we need to show exactly. us that we need to just trust that he, the Lord will take care of it. Exactly. Let Him sort it all out. We need to learn to be thankful for what He denies. Because as well, as if what we set provides. our mind on, on the ways of the world to set everything up, then we're going to go off back into Egypt, preferably yeah. speaking. Yes, unfortunately so. There's one more time when I think of in Scripture that's always been interesting to me. It's hold of the prophetess. There was a time when they needed to seek the Lord. The king needed to seek counsel from the Lord. And what they said to who? To hold of the prophetess. And they mentioned her husband, which I was really thankful for. It's really interesting. Uh, he was over the, the priest's vestments. He was over the wardrobe. And apparently, he's good with that. He didn't want to be the prophet. He's happy with that. He, he does what he does good, and he likes doing it. And he didn't object if his wife was a prophetess. You know, we have no record of him complaining or being bothered by this. And Well, if you're not called, you're not called. Yeah, and <laughs> so, like, I'm looking at this, and I'm seeing that God doesn't require... And they were the 
ones that were prophets for the whole nation usually, usually were men. But God did choose women sometimes. Yes. And mm -hmm. I think that we live in a world where people make distinctions that God doesn't make. Absolutely. And um, sometimes it's confusing for us as women. What is our role? Because, I mean, there's we're trained into believing what everybody else believes and in our culture and that sort of thing. And that can be way off on both ends of the spectrum. You know, so, but I, I see something here that I find both encouraging and uh, kind of bewildering sometimes. But, uh, it looks to me like God does choose women for things sometimes, a specific woman for a specific time, and just gives her a job to do that she's supposed to do. And whatever yes. job we get, no matter and, who we are, we should do it. And give them talents to use in God's honor and glory, to glorify God with the talents that you're given. And whether it's raising children or whether it's musical ability or whether it's judging the nation, if God gives you the ability, give God the glory and do it. And that's that goes for everybody, whether men or women. And we have been given talents and, and we oftentimes find ourselves burying those talents rather than using them. And God is not pleased with that. You know, we shouldn't bury our talents. We should use them to God's honor and glory. He's the one who gave them. He gave it to you, not just for you to be benefited by it, but for you to use for the benefit of everyone around you. All right, enough. Let's, let's move on here a little bit. Okay. I don't know where I left off. Um, okay. Ten. Verse 10. <laughs> as, as we care, you're right on target. Then. All right. And, and as we tarried there many days, there came down from Judea a certain prophet named Agabus. That's an interesting name, Agabus. And when he was come unto us, he took Paul's girdle and bound his own hands and feet and said, Thus saith the Holy Ghost, So shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man who owneth this girdle and shall deliver him unto the hands of the Gentiles. Whoa, quite a prophecy. A physical demonstration, he says, the man who owns this girdle or this this belt, whatever, is shall be delivered in unto the hands of the Gentiles. Now notice it wasn't into the hands of unbelieving Jews, but unto the Gentiles. And when we heard these things, both we and they of that place besought him not to go up to Jerusalem. Again, he's He's warned, don't go up there. Don't go up there. It's dangerous for you. Stay out of that place. Um, they, they entreated him. They begged him not to go. He said, you're going to be in trouble up there. And uh, both here we see that word we and they. So when we heard these things, both we and they of that place besought him not to go up to Jerusalem. So it's, it wasn't just 
the people there, and it wasn't just the prophet, but they heard the prophet's prophecy, and they, they knew Agabus as a prophet. And, and they said, even those who were traveling with Paul said, this isn't a good idea for you, Paul. Don't do that. Then Paul answered, What mean ye to weep and to break mine heart? For I am ready not, all, not to be bound only, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. He says, Don't, don't try and hurt me by, or, or to take my nerve away from me for going up there. He said, I have been given direction of God to do this, and I'm going to go there no matter what it costs me. So I get bound, so I get killed. God said to go, and I'm going. And when he would not be persuaded, we ceased saying, the will of the Lord be done. When you can't change something, You have to say, let God's will be done in this. You know, sometimes we want to direct in, in this world, and we're out of line. The Apostle Paul had been directed of God. Jesus instructed Paul of what he had to go, where he had to go, and what he had to suffer. And he says, I'm going, I'm going to do it no matter what it costs me. And after those days, we took up our carriages. We, we packed our bags, as he once said, took up our carriages, uh, and went up to Jerusalem. We packed our bags and we went to Jerusalem. There went with us also certain of the disciples of Caesarea. Now they were at Caesarea at this point. And some of the disciples from that place went with them in addition to those that were traveling with Paul. So he, his company increased by some more people here. He had quite a following. There, there must have been at least a dozen people there with him, maybe more than that, probably more than that. And now they're adding to that number. And and they brought with them one, I'm, I'm not sure how to pronounce that, Manason, Manason of Cyprus, an old disciple with whom we should lodge. So they were going to Jerusalem and evidently he had quarters there in Jerusalem and they would be staying with him. And when we were come to <coughs> Jerusalem, the brethren received us gladly. So this is the brethren. This is the church brethren. Not necessarily the Jewish people altogether. Uh, and the day following, Paul went in with us unto James, and all the elders were present. So James and the elders of the church at Jerusalem is who they visited. They, they were all visiting together. They must have had quite, a, quite an assembly there. Probably would have filled this building with the people that 
were there, at least. And when he had saluted, the, saluted them, he declared particularly what things God had wrought among the Gentiles by his ministry. So he, he came in and he, he greeted them and gave the particulars. Uh, he, he told them in detail what God had done through his ministry. Notice he said, this is God worked among the Gentiles by his ministry. It was, it was God's doing. He gave God the glory for all of the things that had taken place there throughout the, the Mediterranean world. And when they heard it, they glorified the Lord and said unto him, Thou seest, brother, how many thousands of Jews there are which believe, and they are all zealous of the law. Paul knew about zeal about the law. And he said whether they're Jews, uh, whether they're believing Jews, or whether they're non-believing Jews, they are zealous about the law. They have a, it, the law is very important in their lives, even as it was in Paul's life. And they are informed of thee. They, this is what they have heard about you that thou teachest all the Jews which are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, saying that they ought not to circumcise their children, neither to walk after the customs. They're saying, this is what they've heard. Now it isn't necessarily right. Paul wasn't doing that. He didn't say that the Jews should not circumcise their children. He didn't say any of that. He said, don't uh, forsake the customs of the Jews. This is not what he was preaching. But that's what they had heard. That's what they believed. What is it, therefore? He said, what are you going to do about this? The multitude must needs come together, for they will hear that thou art come. He says, these people are going to get together and there's a, there are thousands of them here in Jerusalem. And, and they'll hear that you're, you've arrived here. Do therefore this that we say to thee. He said, we're going to give you some orders here, Paul. We're not, we, don't, we aren't even going to take a no for an answer. He says, do therefore this that we say to thee. We have four men which have a vow on them. Them take and purify thyself with them, and be at charges with them, that they may shave their heads, and all may know that these things whereof they were informed concerning thee are nothing, are nothing, but that thou thyself also walkest orderly and keepest the law. He said, "We want you to do this so that they will see that you're following the law, that you." are not abrogating the law of God. So he said, you need to do this so that they will know that you're not 
preaching against what God has said and that this law is precious to you that you take this vow with the, with these other four and we want you to sit, show them that you're walking orderly and keeping the law and actually doing what is right the, to, the, to the best of your ability. They, want, she, they said, we want you to show them this. As touching the Gentiles, which, which believe we have written and concluded that they observe no such thing he said, the, the Gentiles aren't under this law. They're not to be brought under that. Save only that they keep themselves from things offered to idols, and from blood, and from strangled, and from fornication. These four things, they were put on, on in charges, that they take the, those four things and keep those four things, and just those four, not, not all of the uh, purification rites, not all of the sacrifices, not all of the things that were in the book of Moses, but just those four, and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Then Paul took the men the next day purifying himself with them, entered into the temple to signify the, the accomplishment of the days of purification until that an offering should be offered for every one of them. And when the seven days were almost ended, the Jews which were of Asia, when they saw him in the temple, stirred up all the people and laid hands on him. So some of those people of Asia, where he had been preaching, where he had had trouble, uh, and where people tried to kill him up there, they saw him there in the temple. They said, wait a minute, we know this guy. We've seen him, we know who he is. And they had some uh, misgivings here. Verse 28 says, crying out, men of Israel, help, this is the man that teacheth all men everywhere against the people and the law and this place, the temple, and further brought Greeks also into the temple and hath polluted this holy place, for they had seen before with him in the city Trophimus, an Ephesian, whom they supposed that Paul had brought into the temple. So they were accusing him of all sorts of things, including defiling the temple by bringing in this Ephesian that he that was a believer in Jesus Christ. But Paul hadn't brought him into the temple, but he was accused of that nonetheless by these Asian uh, non-believers. And all, all the city was moved, and the people ran together, and they took Paul and drew him out of the temple and forthwith the doors were shut they just slammed the doors on him get get him out of here and as they went about to kill him tidings came unto the chief captain of the band that 
all Jerusalem was in an uproar. The Romans heard it. Wow, look, there's a there's a mob going on down here. We need to quell this insurrection, whatever it is. And that chief captain of the band, that is, he, he was a centurion. He had a big position there who immediately took soldiers and centurions and ran down unto them and when they saw the chief captain and the soldiers they left beating Paul they said whoops we better cool it here people <laughs> and they realized that they were out of line at that point and they had to stop then the chief captain came near and took him and commanded him to be bound with two chains and demanded who he was and what he had done. And some cried one thing and some another among the multitude. And when he could not know the certainty for the tumult, he couldn't figure out what had happened and what caused the riot for the multitude. He, the multitude was saying one thing and then another. He commanded him to be carried into the castle. They take him back to the barracks and get him, get him out, out of this mess here. And when he came upon the stairs, so it was that he was born of the soldiers for the violence of the people. They had to literally carry him into the temple because the people were out to kill him. They wanted him dead. For the multitude of the people followed after, crying, Away with him! And as Paul was to be led into the castle, he said unto the chief captain, May I have a word with you? May I speak to you? And I'm sure Paul said this in Greek. Because he says, uh, He said, Canst thou speak Greek? He was surprised that Paul could even speak Greek. Art thou that art art not thou that Egyptian which before these days madest an uproar and ledest out into the wilderness four thousand men that were murderers? These these cutthroats. We thought that's who you were. That's who the captain thought he was. Was this cutthroat Egyptian that had led 4,000 men into the wilderness. Well, I, I don't know anything about that. This is the only place that that guy was ever mentioned here. But that, that's who the centurion thought Paul was. But Paul said, I am a man which am a Jew of Tarsus, a city of Cilicia, a citizen of no mean city. And I beseech thee, suffer me to speak unto the people. He very politely said, I'm sure in Greek, very plainly to this centurion, he says, uh, I am a respectable citizen. I'm, I come from Tarsus in Cilicia. Okay. Let's turn to number 453.
He said, I'm ready not only to be bound, but to die for the Lord. He was comfortable with that. If he can be comfortable with that, surely our little problems aren't a big deal. God can handle that for us. We need to go to him and have the assurance in our lives that he is there. And the confidence. Put our confidence in the Lord, not in our own strength. Not in having all the things that we think we need, but knowing that God is in control. And whatever we have to go through, God will bring us through. Even if it kills us. <laughs> That's fine. Apostle Paul was ready for that. We need to be ready for it too. Quite frankly, none of us are going to get out of this life alive unless God returns before we die. Be ready. Serve the Lord. Have that assurance in your life. Let's sing number 311. Blessed assurance. And we'll stand as we sing. We have a, a special this morning, so we'll just sing two songs. Sure, Jesus is mine. 
I'm going to try to sing a special this morning, so y'all bear with me. love 
Son and death he remembered. The thief hanging by his side. He spoke with love and compassion. Then he took him to paradise. If that isn't love, the ocean is dry. There's no stars in the sky, and the sparrow can fly. If that isn't love, then heaven's a myth. There's no feeling like this. If that isn't love. Thank you. This morning, uh, we'll get our books and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. I Thank you for reminding me of that. I, I recorded that... Uh, I recorded it on the the podcast, but I didn't do video because I knew it wouldn't last very long. I've noticed I've had a bit of issue with the live recordings lately, so I try to put more of it on the podcast so it can pick up. (laughs) Because it doesn't tend to end before I want it to. So This morning we'll turn again to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. While we're turning over there, we'll do our prayer request this morning. Let's continue to remember Sister uh, Barbara Brown. Um, let's continue to remember Brother uh, Brother Wayne and Sister Shirley, who are still recovering. I know that uh, Sister Shirley, I talked to her last night, and she said they're both on antibiotics, and hopefully they'll be better to come back next week. So just remember them. Continue to remember Sister Andy as well. Um, remember Addie, um, how's Addie doing? Um, she got the results of her MRI, but she doesn't know what they are, so we're just praying for some, some answer. Some answers there, and she does have kidney stones in the left kidney, so, um, we're praying that, um, they can get her, um, on the schedule and go ahead and blast them, because I don't think it's going to happen on its own. Right. So, that. That's a bless. that's a good answer there, rather than... Yeah. Anything else? Any developments on that? So, praise the Lord on that. Continue to remember Sister Tammy and her family. Um, remember Megan Mosier. How's any... Good. That's a blessing. So, continue to remember Megan and her family. Um, remember Sister Judy Byers. I, I mentioned last week that they had done some scans and there were supposed to be some more treatments going on. I talked with brother Jeremy this week and he gave us a brief update and said that they're looking at doing some surgical intervention, but the uh, treatments were ordered as a precaution because it was helping, was helping treat the the lesions there in her colon. So continue to remember them. Um, 
Sister Paula Dovers is still uh, continuing to recover from COVID, uh, so remember her. Uh, remember Kathy, Andy's friend. Um, I know they were looking at possibly putting her maybe in a rest home or... Continue to remember her. Continue to remember my mother-in-law, Sister Stacy Carl. She's still dealing with some heart heart condition stuff. So um, we've got to do a few more things before they'll let her do some more in-depth testing. So continue to remember her. Uh, continue to remember New Macedonia Missionary Baptist Church there in Gatewood, Missouri, where my wife's from. And specifically, Jared and Elizabeth Baker in there, the situation there at the church. Um, continue to remember uh, Sherry. Um, or the Tony's wife. Um, can remember Joe as he's got his procedure coming up on the 15th of August. Praying for that. Uh, remember uh, the Fred and Sister Kathy's family um, as they deal with the remodel and all the things that are going on. How's your sister doing? She, I know you said she had COVID. Oh, she's she better. Good. Anyhow, he he's keeps progressing. You know, the older he gets, he's fifty now, and he just can't live on his own. Okay, remember that. Uh, continue to remember Orlando Sanchez and his family that rented from uh, Wayne and Shirley. He had an accident, so he's I think in rehab for a year. So remember him and his family. Uh, remember. Uh, Ruthie Beeman and what all she's going through and Grandma June I guess she's getting ready to move back into her own home so that's good um, continue to remember one of my coworkers, um, April Morris who is uh, dealing with some uh, health issues um, and then remember Heather Martin and her family uh, who lost a baby uh, remember um 
Chris and Julie Budd, I think they're going to be traveling from Lancaster, California here to visit with us. Some I'll let you guys know as more details. Uh, I meant to check with Brother Chris this week and see what, what their plans are. Um, and pray for their church specifically. They don't have a pastor right now. So they've been without a pastor for quite a long time. And they, as they seek the Lord's will on that. Remember, Don and Jubilee, they're traveling back tomorrow. So hopefully they'll be back at some point tomorrow evening. Um, continue to remember my mother, uh, who's having some issues with uh, some medications and things that she needs to have ordered uh, for her diabetes. Uh, remember Brother Dar brother Daryl and Sister Rebecca Ellis. Um, they're moving to Arkansas. He's been the pastor there at Nonami Church there in, uh, on the Big Island of Hawaii. Um, and he has recently resigned, and they're moving to Arkansas, where he's from. Uh, actually, kind of around the area where I'm from. I've known him for many, many years. So remember them, and remember the church there as they call their next pastor. Um, remember Brother Dan Atkins. Um, they're recovering from COVID, um, he and his wife. Uh, so remember them. Uh, Grant said they were doing pretty well, so just continue to keep them in their prayers. Remember our nation, our military, and our leaders, uh, those that are involved in the Russian-Ukraine conflict, our church for continual spiritual growth, and our sister churches. Um, continue remember James Ruff, um, who's got cancer, I believe, and he is going to be having some surgery. So remember Thursday, Thursday he's going to have surgery. Okay. So remember this. He has colon. Is it colon cancer? Uh, yes. Okay. Colon cancer. Um, remember, uh, Caleb Huss, he's, uh, uh, his parents are members at Trinity uh, Missionary Baptist Church in Garnett, Kansas, where Brother Josh Ford is. Brother Tony got to meet Brother Josh Ford recently at a fellowship meeting in Anchorage. Um, their, their son had some unexplained high fevers this week. He's been sick and he was in the ICU, um, said his fever is down. They've got him. I, I don't know if he's been discharged yet, but they had moved him to another room. I think it's Friday or yes, yesterday or Friday. So remember his family, his dad is about to be deployed for uh, military stint. So um, remember them uh, and the church there in Garnett. Any other prayer requests this morning that I failed to mention? Okay, good. Oh, okay. All right. We'll remember this. Remember mom and baby. Anything else? If not, let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer. And uh, Brother Dennis, would you lead us a word of prayer, please? All right, we're in Second uh, Corinthians chapter twelve this morning, uh, coming to a close in the uh, in our study in Second Corinthians in our um, series here that we've been looking at. Uh, so we'll start there in verse one of chapter twelve. It says, "It is doubtless not profitable for me to boast." 
I will come to, uh, to visions and revelations of the Lord. And I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body I do not know, or whether out of the body I do not know, God knows. Such a one was caught up to the third heaven, and I know such a man, whether in the body or out of the body I do not know, but God knows. How he was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words, which is not lawful for a man to utter. Of such a one I will boast, yet of myself I will not boast except in my infirmities. For though I was uh, might boast, desire to boast, I will not be a fool, for I will speak the truth. But I refrain lest anyone should think of me above what he sees, sees me to be, or hears me. And lest I should be exalted above measure and above by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I exalt above measure. Concerning this thing, I have pleaded with the Lord three times that I might depart from me. And he said, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities and the power of Christ that may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in the infirmities and the, and the reproaches and in the needs and persecutions and distresses. For Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then I am strong. And I have become a fool in boasting that you have compelled me, for I ought to have been commended by you, for it is nothing that was behind the most eminent apostles, though I am nothing. Truly the signs of, a, of an apostle, which accomplish among you with all perseverance and signs and wonders and in deeds. For what is it in which you were inferior to other churches except that I myself was not burdensome to you. Forgive me of this wrong. I'll stop there for just a moment. So Paul here in the first couple of verses of chapter 12 seems to be referencing himself. He says, I knew a man of about 14 years ago. He talks about this and he says, it was revealed to him regarding paradise. He talked about <clears throat> not wanting to boast of himself, but rather in his infirmities. Paul then begins beyond those verses to reference his thorn in the flesh, which he played with the Lord to remove from his life. The problem that he hoped the Lord would deliver him from. But nonetheless, what did the Lord tell him? He says, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. So, my grace Who's, what's, what grace? He says, favor, favor from the Lord. He says, my favor is sufficient for you. Paul boasted, he says, there in his infirmities, rather. A couple preceding verses there. Why? Because he knew that he could only find strength in Christ alone. That was his, that was his message from the Lord. Find, find that my favor is sufficient for you. He says, my strength is made perfect in weakness. We cannot make it alone in this life on our own strength. It's just not sufficient. But in Christ, we have a greater opportunity because we have submitted to the Lord. If I had to make it alone in what I face... I wouldn't make it, that's for sure. I, I know the, pretty much the same thing for you all. So why do you think Paul boasted in his infirmities, in his struggles? 
because he knew that he had an advocate and one that could strengthen him and lift him up. Let's look at Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. In verse 3 of the fifth, fifth chapter there of Romans. He says, and not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulations produces perseverance. And perseverance, character, and character, hope. Now hope does not disappoint because of the Lord, of, uh, the love of God has been poured out in our hearts, but the Holy Spirit who has given to us. So, what is it that, that Paul was talking about here to the churches of Rome? He says, and not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulations produces perseverance. Placing our trust in the Lord, whom provides our strength and provides these enhancing characteristics. He says, now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. goes on down there in verse 6. He says, For when we were still without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet perhaps a good man, somebody would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love towards us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So what is it? In our weakness... And our strugglings in this flesh, placing our trust in the Lord, He provides what strength that we need. What a wonderful thing, and sometimes we forget about this. But that's what Paul is seeking to encourage the brethren here about in Romans and over there in 2 Corinthians. That despite our infirmities, the Lord provides our strength. What do we need to do? We just need to fix our hope on him. Is that not what he says there? Now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Those things are perfected in our troubles and the things that we face when we look to the Lord who is able to fix these things. As Paul so mentioned. Let's look at James chapter 1. A little bit of a lengthy read here in James. We'll read the first eight verses there. It says, James, the bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, of the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad. Greetings. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives all, to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith without doubting. For he who doubts is like the waves uh, sea-driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. 
He is a double-minded man and stable in all his ways. Let the lowly brother give uh, glory in his exultation, but the rich in his humiliation. Because as a flower of the field, he will pass away, for no sooner than the sun risen with the beating heat, than it withers the grass. Its flowers falls, and it, its beauty, excuse me, and in its beautiful appearance perishes. So the rich man will also fade away in his pursuits. Let's skip down to verse 12. We'll go down to verse 12. It says, Blessed is the man whom endures temptation. For when he has been approved, he will receive from the, uh, the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to him who loves him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God, for God cannot be, uh, be tempted by evil. Nor does he himself tempt anyone, but each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when the desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. But do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation and turning of shadow. Of his own will he has brought us forth by the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. So then, my beloved brethren, let every one of man, uh, man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, for man, the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Placing our faith appropriately in the Lord. We, tr we say we trust a lot of things these days. We use the word trust and faith pretty interchangeably. But we know that in the world of men, trust is not something easily placed because why? People disappoint, don't they? So placing our trust or our faith appropriately in something is, is very important. Know about you, but sometimes I've placed my trust in someone and they have let me down utterly. But here he says what? He says, when you have these trials, he says, know that it's the testing of your faith produces patience. He says that, but let patience have its perfect work that you be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. We know the scripture talks about the Lord never disappoints us. Who's the one that disappoints? Typically, it's us, isn't it? But here, the encouragement from the writer is what? If anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives liberally and without reproaches, as well will be given to him. But let him ask in faith without doubting. So we talked over in 2 Corinthians about how Paul sought to be delivered from his thorn in the flesh. And the Lord told him his grace is sufficient for him. Well, here this is a demonstration of that too. We place our trust in the Lord and he won't disappoint us. What happens when we fail? Some, most of the time it's because we didn't place our trust in the Lord, isn't it? And the Lord reminds us when those, those times arise that, hey, put your trust in me and I won't disappoint you. I'll take care of you and I'll provide the strength that you need. I 
I've seen this in many instances. I find comfort. I, I talk about Sister Judy Byers, and I've known her for quite a few years. One of the things I've noticed about her is that even in the difficulty that she's faced with her cancer, she has never given up hope. And he has never disappointed, not once. He's delivered her through it so far. Same thing with Addie. Place to trust in the Lord, and he's delivered her through these things so far, right? He'll continue to do those things. But what happens when you see men fail? I've seen a couple of, of pastors and preacher brethren who have served the Lord. And at some point they place their trust in men. And they're no longer preachers. They're not. One that I considered a, considered a lot to be a, a, an example Holy went into the left field and went back into what they call Hebrewism, which is a form of Judaism. And he's no longer in the church. It's a pretty sad state of affairs when you see that those things happen. So we have examples that we see in our lives and in the scripture that shows when we don't place our trust appropriately. It fails us, right? But yet here we see Paul who is endeared trial after trial after trial. Stonings and death and threat of life. Imprisonment. And yet what happens? The Lord delivered him, didn't he? It wasn't through Paul's strength, but it was through the strength of the Lord. So where do we... Where do we look at? What do we, what do we place our trust in? When we face adversity or we face threats of our own health, we place our trust in the Lord. Here he says the same thing. He says, Let no man say when I am tempted, I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Well, that's pretty dark, isn't it? Yeah, it is. The writer here wanted one of those that he was writing to to see just the, the, the urgent situation that would happen if we give way to sin and let it continue to bear fruit in our lives. And he says, do not be deceived, my brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights. And there is no variation or no shadow of turning. There's no deception there, is there? There's no deceitfulness. The Lord doesn't have any ill intent for us. What is his intent? Trust me. Then you won't receive disappointment in this life. Because your hope will be what? Will come to fruition in the life to come, won't it? So, placing our faith appropriately, leaning upon the Lord, who provides the strength that we need to be able to endure these trials in the present life. 
This such trial and testing we endure for the sake of the Lord whom we serve. If we continue on in the enticement of practicing sin or forsaking the Lord, what does it say? It said it brings forth death, doesn't it? But the Lord provides a far better opportunity and a way and a means of escape. This has been spoken of in the scripture as well. Let's go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Verse 30. Before the thought that we read in our opening text. 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 30. It says, If I must boast, I will boast in the things which concern my infirmity. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is blessed forever, knows that I am not lying. In Damascus, the governor, under arrest, Erastus the king, was guarding the, uh, the city of Damascenes with a garrison desiring to arrest me. But I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped from his hands. Paul had, what? Paul had an issue there, didn't he? And Paul is acknowledging here that Despite his infirmity in the flesh, his difficulties in the flesh, what happened? The Lord provided a way for him to be rescued out of that situation. The Lord delivered him. Think some of that that he suffered in the flesh was that he desired not to be handed over to these men. The Lord says, don't worry about it. I'll take care of you. That was the encouragement over there in chapter 12 and verse 9 that we read. In the flesh, we typically try to concern ourselves with worry and be consumed with it. On a daily basis in my secular job, I worry about leading my people at work appropriately. Making the right choice. I'm in a pretty precarious position because people know that I'm a pastor. And a lot of times I fall short in my example and leading. But in knowing that, looking to the Lord for Him to provide the strength and the grace that I need to endure those things when I do fail. As I hope that you all will forgive me in my failings as well. But what is it that strengthens us here? Strengthens our resolve. It's the Lord that should do those things. We should look to Him and place that appropriately. Friday morning I mentioned this, that I had, I was having some pretty intense chest pain at work. And I was pretty concerned with what was going on. Uh, knowing that my wife is a couple hundred miles away and everyone has their, their lives. I was kind of concerned about what was going on and I know that I've had anxiety. Lord doesn't take that away. He just teaches me how to deal with it. My employees were concerned with how I was feeling. My blood pressure was pretty elevated. One of my employees looked at me and she says, just go in your office and take some deep breaths and just calm, calm yourself. 
She said, stress will do that to you. We had a difficult, pretty difficult week at work. And I thought, Lord, just take this away from me. Don't, don't let me have these problems continually. He didn't take it away from me, but he taught me how to deal with it. I was too stressed and thinking about things and how I could fix them when I knew in the long run I can't fix them. I have to let the Lord take care of those things. And I was reminded of this when I was making preparation for today. Let's look at Philippians chapter 4. We have to remember that we have very little control over what happens in our life. We can make choices and decisions, but we need to put those things in the hands of the Lord first. After all, aren't we servants of the Lord? Philippians chapter 4 and verse 13. Very familiar passage of scripture, one that's commonly misquoted. It's just, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Nevertheless, you have done well that you have shared in my distress. Now you Philippians know that also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. For even in Thessalonica, you sent aid once and again for my necessity. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. Indeed, I have all and abounded. I am full, having received from Epaphroditus the things sent from you, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. So again here, the church at Philippi sent a, a generous gift to Paul. He says, nevertheless, you've done well that you shared in my distresses. It wasn't the Philippians. The Philippians followed the, for lack of a better word, the instigating of the Lord. He says, all right, Paul has a need. You need to help provide for him. What did Paul say there? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Paul knew not to worry about it, but he had, he had some distresses. He had things going on in his life during those journeys that he had. But yet, the Lord saw fit to provide his need through the church at Philippi and send him a gift to help get him along in his, in his way. I know Paul talks quite a bit about laboring and not wanting to, to burden people with his with with taking care of him. Sometimes he needed that help. And who was it that he looked to, to to provide that help? He looked to the Lord and the Lord helped provide through these brothers and sisters in Christ wherever he went. Let's look at Colossians chapter one over a couple pages there. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 9. 
says, For this reason we also, since the day we have heard of it, do not cease to pray for you, to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Strengthen with all might, according to the, his glorious power, for all patience and long suffering with joy, giving thanks to the Father who hath qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints and the light. For he has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us to the kingdom of the Son of his love, and whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things are created that are in heaven and there that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and is in him all things consist. And he is the head of the body of the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that is all things, he may have the preeminence. Speaking of Christ's preeminence here, and how he is the head of the church, and the reason for whom we have hope, whom we have the ability to be strengthened in our infirmities and in our struggles. The point of this all is, is for us to focus not on this life and the struggles and the things that are so negative, but us to focus on the good things, the things of Christ. Strengthen in Christ. Why? He endured all these things before us, didn't he? He says there, He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of his love in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Christ is incomparable here. There is not a thing that cannot that he cannot accomplish through us when we place our trust in him. We may seek for answers in the world and not find them. We can't trust in ourselves to find the, the, the right answer. We place our trust in him. We cannot hope to overcome our infirmities alone, but we place our trust in him and he helps us overcome those things. find that the only time that I've had true fear and true true difficulty in life is when I didn't put those things in the Lord's hands. And he made it very, very, very evident. So why do you think that pride can't exist in Christ? Because if we don't place our trust in him, that we're lifted up, Right? We don't have that lot in life. We're servants of Christ. We need to subject ourselves to the Lord. Seeking his guidance and wisdom through prayer, Paul did that accordingly. And what happened? The Lord delivered him every time. He did deliver him from his thorn in the flesh, but guess what? He did help him deal with it, didn't he? 
Because if the Lord would have removed that thorn, well, would there, what there wouldn't have been any reason for him to rely on the Lord, would it? Placing our trust in the Lord appropriately. We can let him handle those things which we struggle with. There's not a thing in this life that he hasn't handled before us, right? It's the importance of that. Remember our place. We're servants of the Most High God. Was made possible through his Son. So just as Paul sought to be delivered from those things, let's put those things in the trust of the Lord and ask him to show us how it is we're to deal with these things each day. Myself included. I'm not exempt from that. I'm seeing a lot of men out there in this world that 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 place pastors or teachers or preachers above the rest of the church, but that is not the case. We are not exempt. We are flesh and blood just like everyone is. So let let all of us place our trust in the Lord because as, as he told Paul there, his grace is sufficient. My strength is made perfect in your weakness. So let us remember this as we go throughout the week when we struggle with things or we look at the difficulties or infirmities we have in this life. Decisions we need to make. God is able to answer those questions for us may not be in the time that we want it. But one of the things he asks us to do is to intently listen to him and to focus on serving him. He'll sort the rest of it out. And he strengthens us according to his will for his honor and glory. That's all I have for you this morning. Thank you for your time and attention.